welcome to A Movie and an Argument with Alyssa and Swin, where this week we will be talking entirely about television. I am Alyssa Rosenberg, uh, the culture critic at Think Progress and a columnist at Slate in the Atlantic, and I'm here today with... I'm Aswin Subsang. I'm the interactive writing fellow in Mother Jones Magazine's DC Bureau and also the movie guy for Mother Jones. Uh, so, so much to talk about today. Um, this is really television premiere season, so things are starting to get exciting. And I thought, since we haven't had a good sort of kn- knockdown drag out on the podcast in a while, <laughs> we should start with Last Resort. Absolutely. Uh, ABC's new uh, drama starting on Thursday nights from Sean Ryan, the creator of The Shield and Terriers. Um, and it is about the crew of a nuclear submarine who get orders to nuke Pakistan through a back channel refuse to incinerate a couple million people, are shot at by a Navy warship, and go to ground and declare independence. It stars Andre Brower, um, who some of you may know from, uh, as Detective Pembleton from Homicide Life on the Street. And I thought it was one of the best drama pilots of the season, and Swin does not. I thought it was worse than The World is Not Enough. Like that horrible James Bond movie with Denise Richards. I... I it's getting some acclaim from you and other people I respect and love to read. I, this is something I really don't get. This isn't something like The Master, where, I, yeah, I can get sure. why people love it, but I didn't. I, I genuinely thought this was terrible. And uh, let's first kick it to you. You tell me what was so compelling about this one episode. Sure. I mean, I think that, I mean, and I should note that I thought Last Resort, the pilot, was the great first hour of a movie. I don't know if it's a concept that Ryan can sustain Mm. into 22 episodes of a narrative television show. For multiple seasons. Right. And so I'm totally open to the fact that it will be a spectacular failure. Mm -hmm. But what I kind of liked about it was how old-fashioned it felt. I mean, this is a movie about old-school, manly men, Brower and Scott Speedman among, among them, who have very serious ideas about sort of honor and duty and loyalty. Um, but it's also, you know, it's kind of a sexy picture, right? You have these, like, gorgeous Marines who land on this uh, submarine, uh, carrying with them a big, dark secret. You later see one of them weeping in the arms of a beautiful woman. I mean, it feels like a 40s picture to me, to a certain extent. And I really enjoyed that. I mean, it's also, you know, it's got a lot of stuff going on. I really, I would describe it almost as a soap opera for men. You have the mm-hmm. drama on the submarine itself. You have the local dynamics of the island that they land on, uh, which is controlled by a fixer, has a number of people who were working for a NATO station, has, um, you know, gorgeous nerd icon, Deachin Lachman, working at a bar. Um, And then back in Washington, um, you have a sort of conspiracy plot um, with an admiral whose daughter is on the submarine and a gorgeous defense contractor played by the actress who I will always remember as Lizzie Grant in Entourage. Autumn Reserve. Yes. Also uh, Ryan's last love interest on the OC. Fair enough. His best love interest. I just finished watching Entourage, so it's a bit on my mind. Got but it. yeah, so it's I, it's a big, glossy, sexy soap for dudes. And, you know, it's it's got some frisson of current events. One of the big tensions is about... Um, the fact that women have finally started to serve alongside mm-hmm. men on submarines. Um, it has, you know, sort of a timely geopolitical story, which... Israel you know, launching missiles, Pakistan being in the middle of things. You know, unstable. It's a, you know, I thought it was just sort of exciting and sexy and old school and fun. What what I thought was really sexy about was the premise and the cast and everything I thought the show was going to be. I mean, sure. this this is... I, I talked to you about this, like, a couple of weeks ago, like, one of the biggest surprises of this season so far. It, it, um... 
almost neck and neck with not liking the master and loving Pitch Perfect for me was that I really didn't like Last Resort, which I thought I was going to love based on the TV spots and the premise. What didn't do it for you? I... Okay, well, of many things, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most that I despised was the dialogue. I really thought it was cheesy, poorly delivered. Poorly delivered by a great cast. I love Autumn Reeser. I love Andre Brower. I love, love, love Andre Brower. And all the other, like, supporting actors who, again, names I can't recall right now. But, like, there are moments where the defense contractor played by Autumn Reeser goes up to, who is it, the Secretary of Defense? I thought it was in maybe SecDef, maybe an admiral. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Joint Chiefs. You know, he's, and, he's a military honcho. Exactly. Talking to him about, like, how... She needs to get something on the submarine under control that was built by a defense contractor, like a major nuke weapon or something, and saying that how you you ordered the attack on that submarine, didn't you? Even though your own daughter was aboard, you bastard! <laughs> and it's like stuff like that constantly, where it's like Pearl Harbor levels of laughably bad dialogue oh, that I think to- I know I'm dead you serious. Don't, you don't like Andre Brower staring into the camera and telling us we will all burn. Come on, that, that's like awesome Bond oh, level. No, I, I acknowledge that that's a very good okay. part. That's the only, basically the only part of the pilot I liked. It was a good monologue, solid monologue. It got um, a good montage to go with it. Andre Brower got to be Andre Brower, who we've loved in, as you said, Homicide and FX's short-lived Thief. Yeah. It just, the rest of it was so cheesy, predictable. And, oh, and uh, even the displays of feminism that you were talking about before, the women serving in armed forces which of course i liked again i I can add this to the list of things i adored about hearing about the show when they're like saying oh you bitch for shooting one of the men and she's like that's that's, lieutenant or (laughs) ma'am that that, that's lieutenant bitch to you sir it's done so seriously without a hint of like irony or or intended soapiness or cheesiness reminded me of um uh Helen Mirren in Prime Suspect in the first episode when um, uh, her the men she's working with keep calling her mum and she says it's you know it's a she asks him to call her sir I mean it's a great little moment and yeah I agree that that line was not beautifully delivered I'm willing to give it some credit on that score both because I'm a little up for cheesy 40s dialogue I mean Mm. I will take some of that as opposed to like sort of heavy pop culture reference dropping tweeness. Um, I'm happy to have that back in the mix. It's also just a pilot with an enormous amount to establish, which it does at a pretty brisk pace. And I think once we start people seeing people have interactions on a more regular basis, they may be able to chill that out. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that. I hope so. I don't think serious portentousness has ever been a hallmark of Ryan's, and so I'm willing to give him. A little bit of leeway for that to get more natural. Sure thing. And it's, I mean, you're right. It has a lot that it has to handle in one pilot, which I think kind of mangles because one thing it doesn't get across clearly, and I don't know if it was intentional that they were just trying to have in the background, was that the whole world is at war. It's like missiles aren't being randomly aimed at Pakistan and Israel isn't randomly shooting missiles later in the episode at, like, Pakistani civilians. And... It only says for like a second that the United States is in turmoil. Like the president has basically evolved into a dictator. That's yeah. what it's implied. And Congress is trying to get rid of him. Like it, I, I feel like it should have solidified that more. Like if you blinked, mm. well, you miss I, let it. Let me put it this way. I think they could have done a two-hour pilot for it. Okay. Yeah, I think that would have improved. But it. I'm fine. Like I'm sufficiently interested in watching, you know, Pembleton run a submarine that mm. – 
I'm I was willing to sort of wait on the other stuff. It was sufficiently ex- everything that was going on in the island in particular was sort of sufficiently exciting to me that I was happy to stay there for a little bit. Um, and I think we'll see, you know, look, we've got Autumn, you know, we've got Lizzie Grant in Washington, um, <laughs> who, you know, is going to she's going to bring us an NFL team and and solve a defense contracting conspiracy. Um, I'm willing to let the Washington stuff play out a little bit. Mm. I mean, we only have one anchor character there and the sh- we have sort of 90 percent of the rest of the show's characters off on the island. So it'll probably take a little bit of time for us to see what's going on there. Yeah. I and wonder- I think one thing I would say it's very much a like revolutionary war. Can we start society over? I think the focus is going to be on the island. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think part of the reason I liked Last Resort is because it is a better version of what revolution is trying to do. And that's the thing. I, I thought I wouldn't like a revolution, and I thought it was actually pretty solid. For me, my expectations were completely flipped so huh. this fall. And, oh, and yeah, something we didn't establish. They set up their own nation on the island. Yes. And there's conspiracy basically at every corner. The United States has attacked this submarine, and we don't know who it came from. So you're right. There is a lot to unpack. I'm rooting for the show. Right. Because the TV spot was so damn good with, like, this gospel hymn and, like, missiles being fired everywhere. It looked like this elegiac, like, brutally epic I mean, it's also also network at 8 o'clock. I mean, let's be clear, right? This is ABC trying to do a dude thing and, like, not having a lot of confidence in it. Mm -hmm. And so putting it at at a miserable time slot. I think, you know, look. It's a big, juicy, pulpy show. It's a soap. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm willing to give it a lot of leeway on those grounds. I also just think it looks great. It's filmed in Hawaii. It's probably the best-looking network show since Lost. Um, you know, it's and it's kind of heading into autumn. It's fun to see some of those sort of lush Hawaii visuals. I enjoyed that. And last thing before we get off this show, um, again, spoiler in case, you know, people. Grrr, Towards the end of the episode, there's this standoff where another missile is coming at the island or the sub, and Andre Breyer's um, character orders the mis- um, submarine, the crew, to launch one of their nuclear missiles at Washington, D.C. I mean, not at Washington, D.C., ultimately at a location 200 miles outside right. Washington, D.C. Right. Um, it's a, I mean, you've, it's... you've sometimes been a stickler for realism. How did that make you feel that Andre Breyer actually got to utter the line, it landed like hundreds or like a few miles like north of Washington, D.C.? Nobody will get hurt. Um, I mean, you know, we're expected to believe that in The Dark Knight Rises, too. The idea that you can like nuke the ocean and everything will be fine is stupid. Um, but... But this is like on mainland United States. I mean, people will care. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, I think people will Like Arlington might be over. Look, I mean, Lost Resort has the same problem as The Dark Knight Rises, which is the military's really, really good. I mean, we are good at, among other things, like parachuting into Pakistan and killing the most wanted man in the world, getting him out and getting all of us out alive. You know, mm. we're, we are pretty good at building commando teams, and there is no way... Um, that Andre Brower would be allowed to keep his nukes, that Bane would be allowed to keep his nuke. It just, you know, um, because unlike Revolution, where the sort of idiocy of the premise um, interferes with the plot all of the time, I have a really hard time setting the idiocy of that premise aside. Something like this, I think I'm willing to play ball a little bit more. If, again, back to my thing I was saying about if they explain more, they just hint for like, couple of seconds that the united states is in turmoil if they had just like had an extra sentence of like 
like it's nearing civil war and parts of the country maybe, are desolate hey, maybe, or war torn. Maybe it's a backdoor Judge Dredd pilot. Maybe the Justice oh. Department is going to coup the president. We're going to end up with Mega maybe. City One and Mega City Two. Uh, this can be the origin story. Are we getting a Judge Dredd TV show? Of course, we're not getting a Judge Dredd I, TV show. I, if I only because, no if only because nobody. I mean, I'm, I think American television popular American television viewers are just not subtle enough to appreciate the glory of say Judge uh, Judge Fear saying Judge. In, uh, but you know what? I'm not going to go off on a long Judge Dredd, Dredd rant. I'm going to be restrained. <laughs> I don't think the American populace is actually ready to understand, on a broad and sustained level, a British satire of our authoritarian tendencies in law enforcement entertainment. I I'm, wish we were, but... I didn't even see the new movie, and I'm not sure how many people did. I mean, it wasn't screened for critics. It was like $3 million worth of people. So... Not that many. So, n- not that many. Which is too bad. <laughs> did you see it? You I haven't it? seen it yet. It's on my list. Okay. I saw The Master this weekend, though, so... Did you agree with my quasi-panning of it? Uh, uh, we'll I just mean, talk I about this for a second. I didn't enjoy watching The Master at all, but there's a ton to write about in it. As someone who's a major, major religion and theology geek, mm. uh, 3,000 words of essay out of the movie, but I wouldn't say I enjoyed watching it. It's fun to write about. Yeah, we'll, for we'll, sure. We'll Paul Thomas Anderson that I mean, for the, man, the man can work a lot into a script. I'm deeply devastated because I misheard the name of the skeptic who confronts um, Dodd in New York. If it had been John Morris... Then the guy who's the president of like Institute Studies or some joke in there, and Paul Thomas Anderson let me down, so I am very grieved. Maybe he was trying to be subtle about it. Eh, I mean, it's not a subtle movie. No, not really. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. B- back to TV. We're talking yes. too much about movies. Um, which, and by the way, Looper comes out. Yes, we will uh, both be at the week. Looper screening tonight. So yeah, unfortunately, me. we can't talk about it now. Well, we could talk about it next week. There are always options. Sure um, thing. Uh, but let's move on to the two sh- uh, Showtime shows that come back absolutely. this Sunday. Uh, Dexter and Homeland, both of whom, which ended with massive cliffhangers last season. Which for should, like, the fact that I've said that should serve as a spoiler alert. But if it's not enough, spoiler alert. I, before you continue, I'm a horrible TV critic. Feel free to string me up for this, whoever's listening or even you. I haven't seen a single episode of Homeland, so feel... What? Fe- what the what? I Wrong! Know, I, this, take away my critic card. I Yeah, I'm, I'm setting I'm it on fire here in the studio. I mean, you know, it's... I'm watching it, but it's heartbreaking. It's, so, it's burning like a little, you know, stained <laughs> linoleum of the table. It's, I'm dancing with glee. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, spoil away. Because all the spoilers you're going to be dropping, the major cliffhangers, whatever, uh, like, at least there's an audience of one in this makeshift studio right now to hear them. Okay, you do know that Dexter is a serial killer, that Sam Malone owns a bar in Boston called Cheers. I'm I, just checking here. I need, to, I need to know what you know. I know sh- it's not Chewbacca who is Luke Skywalker's father. <laughs> I, I, I've, he- I've heard these things. He but, is over Han Solo's adopted brother. Um, uh, uh, spoil away. And Dexter, I, I'm caught up. Sure. Okay. So, so Homeland last season followed the adventures of Carrie Matheson, played brilliantly by Claire Danes, a, bi- a bipolar CIA agent who, after having been tipped by an agent in Lebanon eight years earlier, that there was an American prisoner of war that had been turned, uh, focuses her suspicions on Sergeant Nicholas Brody, played again just with brilliance um, by Damian Lewis, uh, when he returns home from the United States. She believes that he has been turned into a terrorist by Abu Nazir, who's sort of the show's um, more reasonable stand-in for Osama bin Laden. Um, 
and begins investigating him without the authorization of her agency, which essentially thinks she's nuts. Um, the show ended last season with the sort of confirmation that Brody was, in fact, a terrorist who decides, based on a last-minute phone call by his daughter, not to assassinate the vice president and much of sort of the leadership of his party. Um, who is he a Republican or...? Um, it's sort of unclear. Uh, Walden, Vice President William Walden is something of a saber rattler. Um, and, you know, he tells Nazir, I'm out, I'm going to work for you on sort of a political basis and, you know, to try and end things like drone strikes. Um, and Carrie is totally discredited and um, goes in for sort of memory nuking electric shock treatment, even though she was right. And so it's this sort of heartbreaking thing where... You know, Brody, if he, even if he hasn't gotten away with an act of terrorism, has kind of put one over on the CIA. And mm. this woman has been just totally destroyed by the by his deception. Um, and so one of the things that Homeland had to do and that it does fairly early in the second season, first episode, is find a way to get Carrie back, if not her job, to get her working back with the CIA again. And... Um, it does that sort of fairly efficiently and cleverly. Um, and, you know, it's a show... I have some doubts about the second season of Homeland. It's always been a show that relies heavily on coincidences, and it does so a lot in these first two episodes. But it's... I mean, it's the rare show where the sort of emotional integrity of the acting will get me to wave aside a lot of plausibility concerns. And... um I would say I'm sort of a plausibility or realism hawk when I think a show is failing on other counts, um, mm. you know, and that I and when I think that a show is sort of ignoring opportunities to wring drama from plausible events. This is a show where the acting by everybody, Lewis, Danes, Mandy Patankin, who plays Carrie's CIA mentor, Saul, you know, all of these people are just so phenomenal that it's a it makes it easy for me to forgive the show a lot. Um, and, and it's exciting. I mean, like Last Resort, it begins uh, with the premise that Israel has just bombed Iran's nuclear sites. And the question of whether it got all of them is open to question. So it's, again, sort of very geopolitically grounded, just stunningly acted. Again, I think Claire Danes is going to have an Emmy lock on this role for as many years as she chooses to play. And just to... Uh, recap how many emmys did homeland walk away with uh this past sunday well it won the big four um uh lewis and danes both won for best actor Mm -hmm. and best actress in a drama um the show won for best writing in a drama for alex ganza and howard gordon um who wrote the pilot episode um and then it won Best Drama. Uh, and so Mad Men got, went 0 for 17, I think, significantly in part, of, uh, in part because of um, Showtime's rise here. And I think it's the fact that Showtime did so well at the Emmys and that Homeland did so well in particular is going to force some other shows to sort of step up their game and think about yeah. what made Homeland good. Um, and, you know, I, if there is going to be a show out there that is acting as a model for sort of engagement with issues for like actually interesting sex scenes, which most shows don't know how to pull off at all. Um, And just for these sort of pure lucid performances, uh, Homeland is the way you want to go. It's what you want to have out there putting pressure on everything else. Mm -hmm. And these are the same guys who were behind uh, 24 on Fox. Yes. And uh, 
I, I think the only time 24 cleaned up at the Emmys was season five. Did, did you ever watch 24? Uh, here and there. Mm. I found it sort of unbearable. Th- this um, was seasons one through five and the very end, like the last seven episodes or so of the last season, season eight, I, I adore. Like, I, I was a 24 buff yeah. for quite some time and it ended up breaking my heart. But the... Uh, uh, I've heard that the politics of Homeland have evolved significantly, uh, con- considering the showrunners who, you know, during 24 were considered pro-torture advocates and, like, hawkish and American rah-rah-rah. I, yeah, I, I, I is... could argue that 24 is far more complicated than that, but I won't get into that now. But sure. w- what's Homeland like in terms of, like, leanings? I mean, it's a much more, you know, the show's name is Homeland, and it's sort of split in two. It's meant to, you know... The idea is that the American homeland is the homeland for us, but, you know, the places that we are hitting with drone strikes, that where we are waging wars overseas, are homelands for people, too, and what happens there affects us. It's sort of about the... Um, it's like blowback city. Yeah, it's sort of about the inescapable mutual ties, mm-hmm. you know, between countries that we forge when we do damage to them. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, I think it has a fairly cold view of drone strikes. Um it's not it's very much not a didactic show mm. um and it, it's a very sort of issue by issue show in the war on terror <clears throat> i mean you know and there's a lot of there is a lot of people doing things that either they just aren't allowed to do and clearly shouldn't be allowed to do because it causes problems for them, them later on but that also proves their hunch is correct mm-hmm. or people you know, doing things that they are allowed to do, like drone strikes, that are clearly not in their best self-interest. And so it's sort of about mm-hmm. the conflicts between our interests and our instincts and sort of why our laws protect us. Um, it's a, it's not an easy show to parse, uh, which is one of the reasons Barack Obama likes it so much, I think. <laughs> it's his favorite show, as it should is be. It his, I thought it was tied with, like, The Wire and other shows. I mean, it's his favorite currently airing television gotcha. program. I wonder how Obama feels about 24. I should ask him about season five. Yes, when, when you two have, when the two of us or three of us have our exclusive cultural sit down with the president. Weekly beer at... At Iron, Barry's place. Iron, yeah, sure, Barry's place. <laughs> um, I, did, I did actually talk to um, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele about their meeting with the president, who uh, he told them, I really need Luther sometimes. Uh, Luther is the, the anger. anger translator skit that... Um, uh, that Key and Peele do. So it's a... Uh, he's He's got his eye on some good television. I mean, I feel like we would shame him and set him right if he was doing the wrong things. Shame who? Obama. His wife likes Modern Family far too much, though. Oh. Wait, you, you don't like Modern Family? Dude, Modern Family is a, a television show that won Emmys that oh, no. also aired a, telev- a, a an episode of television that whose premise was literally bitches beyond their periods. That was a really funny episode. Oh, young. Oh, she's. Oh, get, you're starting to throw a chair at me. Put, it, know, put it down. This is more Alyssa, in. Put it down. This is more in sorrow than in anger. <sighs> oh, young Swin. But the way he was actually used. No. So. No. Okay. Wrong. Well, Exiled. that episode aside, pretend you hadn't seen. It's that. like it's totally mediocre, right? I mean, it's so the people are so pretty. It's so snappy. It's a classic sitcom mold in a very, as uh, my colleague Adam Serwer described it, like a radically conservative mold which these like different gender... It's boring. 
I mean, it's also a show that should just be that should focus on the kids primarily instead of the adults. I did. I disagree. When does the show come back? Because I feel like we should have an All right. episode where we we'll, argue we about will, that. We will have a... You know what? We should just let's, have a Modern Families episode. We yeah, let, like, all of the family Next shows. week, let's schedule it. The, all right. The, the, the Lessons Win Modern Family Throwdown. Because we don't have time to debate now, but I, I will have my arsenal of pro-Modern Family. Fair enough. All right. And let's talk about Dexter a little bit. Absolutely. Um, also coming back on Showtime. Same... They're both coming back this Sunday, September 30th. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to talk about where we last saw Dexter and Deb when we uh, saw them last season? Well, uh, just to put it in a nutshell, Dexter ices um, the villain played Travis. by Travis, played by Colin Hanks. That's in like who's the least him. believable serial killer ever? Oh, absolutely, Tom Hanks's kid. You right. don't think serial killer? Right. I, don't... I mean, like they have basic decency in the DNA. Absolutely. And anyway, he sticks a, a big fucking knife through his chest and then his sister or adopted sister uh deborah morgan walks in and she's like the uh like lieutenant yeah yes. she, she's a police lieutenant they, lo- they work together in miami pd and um, the season six ended with like oh my god and oh no and this also comes shortly after that after deb decided that she's in love with dexter because tv is crazy about incest or quasi incest or implied incest adoptive i mean no, no, no. I mean, it's, so it's not biologically incest but yes right. of course it's i'm not saying it's okay for adopted yeah. yeah so and then that's how season six ended season seven picks up like exactly where it left yeah. off with like oh my god what, what are you doing dexter what why are you murdering this guy because she doesn't know he's a serial killer who knows serial killers that's not something you want to learn about your brother yeah um i mean maybe it depends on the brother that's true i mean if it's you know someone who's really awful at thanksgiving dinner or you know now you have something to talk about or perpetually you know forgets to give presents for your children maybe it would be you know yeah this is the present to america you kill horrible people for me and skirt due process yeah congratulations and have a very pretty blood splatter slide collection oh yeah absolutely and anyway um what is your take on the start of the new season well and my, my, well dexter in general my I guess bigger I, problem never... is i have no idea so this is a show that has two seasons left um, yes well including this one yes including yeah. this one so it's got two full seasons left i have no idea how you sustain that tension for two seasons it just doesn't i mean maybe i should trust it more but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard for me to believe that if your sister finds out that you murder people and other things um start unfolding in the pilot that suggests that it may not only be deb who sort of starts figuring things out spoiler 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 we're going to be spoiling dexter we're talking about the next season of course we have to spoil a little bit yeah that's true I mean, it's like things may happen. Dexter may be pursued. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Darmody is dead. <laughs> so much shit for that. But anyway, um, uh, back, you can back edit to Dexter. That. You can edit that out. <laughs> you probably should edit that I'll out. Bleep it out. Um, yeah, you should totally bleep that out. Um, so, um, y- you know, it's just hard for me to believe that it's going to take. I don't really know how you sustain that unless, mm. you know, unless um, Dexter goes all like Walter White with a big gun in the trunk, you know, on the road. <laughs> maybe, you know what? Maybe this is how Breaking Bad and Dexter end with like. A crossover episode. Yes. Ah. No. Dexter kills Walter White. <gasps> yeah, it's. That well, seems impossible. Um, 
I'm I'm not sure how you felt about Dexter as a whole. Like in its like, so this is seventh season. It's been on seemingly forever, and I forgot it existed for a long period. <laughs> like the first three. I, th- I think it was three seasons. I watched it, like, intensely. Like, yeah. like oh, my God, it's one of my favorite shows on cable. And then it, I, I really fell off the grid or it fell off my radar. One of the... I two, find but Dexter it... kind of silly, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It's just... Um, I mean, what I watched of it, which is not all of it, um, it's, like, it's bloody. It looks attractive. Um, I think it's sort of... It's, cr- it's credit sequence is amazing. Um, oh, absolutely. Pop art. Um, but, you know, it just... It's so it's sort of so bright and goofy that it's never felt scary to me the way that like any of the law and order criminal and oh, serial killers feel. Not. It's like, it's a surprisingly non scary for the most part, serial killer show. I mean, they advertise him as like a, a allegedly America's favorite serial killer. I mean, how many serial killers do we really have to yeah. lionize? Um, and yeah, you're right. For even from season one, when it did gain like traction in like, oh, oh my god, like are we having American audiences root for a serial killer? Blah blah blah. It, it was always very cheerful with the way like it was, it, and the carnage isn't even that graphic. It's no. like it's like a, half a step above like a CSI episode, yeah. and it's. Uh, and I don't it, know. It, it's a show that I don't really feel anything for anymore. Right. But I got to give it credit. These first three episodes of season seven, I do feel like I'm going to get hooked again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. It may putter out because they have like like two more years no. to like tell this story. But again, this mild spoiler, but I'm hedging. So this really isn't a spoiler. They're the questions of whether or not Deborah, how much Deborah knows and whether well, and or not how much she's she going to sort of wants to know I yeah think. and how much she's good is she going to be another um thing that impedes or gets in the way like something else that annoys dexter when he's trying to you know kill these serial killers right or is she going to maybe get in on it how long will her disgust of his like secret life last and it's i don't know for two seasons but at least right now i'm intrigued and, you know, kind of wishing those a fourth episode to that screener I received. Sure. I will also say, I think that for all, again, that I think the show is kind of ephemeral. The fact that the actors who played Deb and Dexter were married and now are not married and can still manage to work together as well as they do. Professionals. I don't uh, is, uh, is somewhat impressive. It's, you know, points. Yeah. So. And it's, uh, I don't know, I think the biggest flaw about Dexter since its beginning is that I, I really do like... Deborah Dexter and Rita when she was spoiler alert still alive that was like years ago that they killed her off but all the supporting characters are terrible I like the actors but can you think of a single Dexter supporting character it's just like and that's makes up a cumulative like 55% of the show yeah or or 45% of the show and I I just never want to watch it when Dexter is not the focus yeah and maybe the only one on screen like like I I don't know how they made seven s- seasons without rebooting the supporting cast or, like, killing some people off. Well, well they've killed a think, couple of people I think off. Dexter is also a really interesting illustration of something people have struggled with since Buffy, is that designing a good big bad is really hard. Um, mm-hmm. And a popular, you know, a show that's relatively popular that gets almost no critical attention that I think has done a relatively good job with this is Bones. I don't know if you watch Bones at all. But uh, when, it, when the reruns are on, I, I think it's funny. But yeah, it doesn't do a big bad every season. When it does, it's usually someone who's pretty scary. 
um, you have someone like called the Grave Digger who you know kidnaps victims and buries them alive. And they did a great, bo- effectively sort of half bottle episode of the show where two of the characters were buried in a car and trying to figure out how to get out. It was a very sort of bonesy technical episode, very emotional. Um, you know, and Dexter, I think, has been sort of harmed by the challenge of having to come up with a big bad every season. Hmm. And not all of them are pretty good. Like, Travis was goofy. Seriously. I love Colin Hanks, but... Yeah. But goofy, yeah. Right. You know, and I mean, I think someone like Trinity is interesting. Someone like, you know, the Ice Truck Killer is Mm. interesting. But it's it's hit or miss. And if that's an integral part of your show, that's a challenge for you. Absolutely. And last thing I'll say about this show, you haven't gotten there yet in the screener, but it hints that Dexter might be getting a new love interest. I haven't read anything about the upcoming season, so I don't know if this can be confirmed. But she, too, is white, blonde and attractive, like his deceased wife. Well, so, we'll see what happens. So I, I'm pumped for that. I just hope I Dexter... like Dexter with white, blonde I just hope Deb interest. gets custody of Dexter's kid. <laughs> that yeah, poor well, child. It, it, that's, that's... Okay, never mind. Not this one, guys. That's the worst part of the show, that you just have this kid hovering there, and they don't really make it a part of the show. Like, in the Darkly Dreaming Dexter book series that this yeah. is based on, uh, there was a point where one of Dexter's... Um, Adoptive sons, like a uh, kid from former marriage of his uh, now dead wife, like the kids started exhibiting like the same tendencies Jeez. that Dexter did when he was a kid. And I was like, oh, I can't wait till they approach that with Aster on the show. But now Aster's not on the show anymore because he's living with his grandparents or something. I forget exactly what happened to him because Rita's dead. Yeah. And, you know, missed opportunity. Not the end of the world because I'm not too invested in the show anymore. But. I gotta say, I, final word, I do like where it's going, at least for these first three episodes of season seven. Sure. And Well, and to finish up, um, I think we wanted to talk a little bit about it's election season and celebrities are diving in thick and fast. I know you had a Samuel L. Jackson uh, project that you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are you familiar with uh, Go the Fuck to Sleep? Uh, yes. The yeah, the book. Samuel L. Jackson narrated uh, audiobook for little kids who don't understand expletives yet. Well, Samuel Jackson just teamed up with the Jewish Super PAC, formerly nonprofit, called the uh, the Jewish Council for Education and Research. Does mm. that sound familiar to yes. you at all? Yes. Yeah, they worked with Sarah Silverman on the Great Schlepp, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, the liberal Super PAC, it has a lot of seed money, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars from... Um, George Soros' son, Alexander Soros, the more playboyish son of the Soros brothers. And uh, they create a nearly four-minute-long video uh, that's unabashedly pro-Obama and is shown exclusively online. It drops tomorrow, Thursday. All right. And it's titled, Wake the Fuck Up. And it's Samuel Jackson magically materializing and speaking in a Dr. Seussian-type rhyme and meter. Uh magically materializes in homes and then starts hurling expletives, obscenities, and Democrat talking points at unsuspecting white suburbanites, <laughs> telling them, you voted for Obama, you, you, and you canvassed and baked cookies for the Obama campaign in 2008. Why are you being so complacent now? And it, it's extraordinarily... F- Maybe not extraordinarily, but it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It clears the bar. And I have a post on it at motherjones.com right now where the video, I haven't been able to embed because it doesn't drop yet, but I'll put it in tomorrow morning. 
Uh, but right now I have a couple of screenshots of it and descriptions of like Samuel L. Jackson saying things like, um, sorry, my friend, but there's no time to snore and out of touch millionaires just declared war on schools, the environment, unions, fair pay. We're all on our own if Romney gets his way. And he's against safety nets. If you fall, tough luck. So I strongly suggest that you wake the fuck up. There you go. Uh, and it's it, it's. It's well, and I think fun. that we're seeing a number, you know, I think Sarah Silverman is sort of the pioneer with this, with the mm-hmm. great schlep, the idea that, you know, Jewish uh, young adults should schlep down to Florida and get their uh, older Jewish grandparents mobilized for Barack Obama. She's back this year with Let My People Vote, which is a voter, um, sort of a voter ID awareness campaign in which she basically concludes that you should get Granny a Glock because a, gl- a gun licenses um, end up being one of the means of photo ID that also has your address that's easiest to get and that is least affected by voter ID laws. And hmm, what does that say? You've also got <laughs> you've also got Steve Carell doing a um uh you know campaign for National Voter Registration Day which sort of relies on his fundamental decency in the sense that he will be very sorrowful if you don't register to vote. Um, Wilmer Valderrama is doing a movie series for Voto Latino and I think what people have sort of finally learned to do is um you know, try to activate their demographics. Like Sarah Silverman is never going to convince any person I know who doesn't like Sarah Silverman to vote for Barack Obama. But I think she can activate the people who are really into her shtick. And, you know, same for Jackson. And so I think that celebrities, in some cases, let's not even talk about Madonna, are starting to figure out sort of what it is that they can do best. Um, and that's a, you know, that's interesting. I think that one of the things that we're seeing with just sort of the availability of lower caliber video productions is that people can experiment a little bit and, you know, just kind of work in their space and with what their appeal is. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know that these videos will make a huge impression this year, but if they turn some, you know, sort of slacker voters into likelies or actuals, that's a, that's progress. Oh, yeah. And just... Even if it's just for the activist lulls, like, it's worth it. It's funny to watch. I, I don't think Samuel Jackson, Jackson showing up um, in the bed of a horny elderly couple to shout at them about Medicare while they're trying to get frisky is going to really not, tornado. But out. it's not for the elderly couple. It's for people who think Samuel Jackson is a badass. No, absolutely. Oh, I'm not saying it's for the elderly. <laughs> I'm I not mean, saying so, this is know. for people on Medicare. But it's... It's for us. We watch it. We know Samuel Jackson, the snake-punching virtuoso. and Yeah, I feel like he should have sat down with Liam Neeson and been like, let me, let me teach you about punching wildlife. Ah, ah. I feel like that's a funnier die video. It's a wildlife punching competition with uh, you know, Liam well, Neeson and Samuel Jackson. What would the ad be for? Would it be pro or anti-wildlife punching? Which super pack would I have no idea. Maybe the one that supports, uh, you know, Representative King's love of dogfighting. <laughs> and on that happy note of dogfighting, uh, I think we can conclude this episode. We got stuff to get back to blogging. And Alyssa, thank you so much for showing up. And to everyone at home, thanks for listening. Peace. Have a good one.